an, an independence in a skill, whether it's swimming or writing or playing music, is really the result of the critical mass of experience and confidence. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Chief Marketing Officer. Our goal is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. So, Andrew, last week we jumped right into teaching and evaluating writing, only we just did the teaching part. Right. And you talked about all the decisions that you have to make before you actually begin teaching, yeah. such as to are teach you going or to not to teach. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that is the question all the way down to the most important question probably when you're teaching writing is how long is this assignment? And, you know, I was thinking about this. If we're talking to teachers and parents of, you know, first or second graders, the assignment's going to be very short. So a lot of what we talked about last week with these longer assignments, 10 pages or even five paragraphs, probably going to reserve that for older kids. Well, how about one paragraph with four facts? Yeah. I mean, you could do that. Absolutely. And one of the things that I came to understand about writing, which I think is tremendously helpful, is that anything can be any length. That's part of the the amazingness of communication and writing, uh, you could write one sentence about Tulsa, Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. You could also write one paragraph about Tulsa. You could theoretically write six paragraphs about Tulsa, and you would just look for four topics that mm -hmm. you could include. You could write 18 paragraphs about Tulsa and organize yourself into some kind of super essay. You could write an entire book about Tulsa. Yes. I'm sure someone has. Yes. <laughs> which is interesting because anything can be any length, mm -hmm. which is why that idea of make it long enough to cover the subject never makes sense. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, so that gives us a lot of flexibility. Mm -hmm. uh, certainly, working with young children, if it is a source-based assignment, you would want to give them an appropriate amount of information. You wouldn't give a seven-year-old a hundred facts <laughs> and say, choose four. Yeah. Right? right no. It'd be easier to say, here's, you know, seven facts or ten facts, choose four or five. Mm -hmm. You know, then the kid could do that. Uh, same thing if you're writing about your camping trip, which I think was the example we used, mm -hmm. you know, how many topics you need and then how many details per topic. And then we have this process of asking the questions, you know, who, what, where, why, when, how, what was the best, what was the worst, you know, what could, what were the things you learned, what were the value. Um, you can move into the sensory questions. What did you see? What did you hear? What do you feel? What did you smell? Mm -hmm. What did you taste? And, and you have that kind of litany of questions, and then the students can, you know, hit on some that activate a memory. Right. 
put that into a keyword out. And, and then when they have enough to make a paragraph's worth, okay, you've got it. You can, you can write from that. So yes, that whole idea of length and structure, yep. so helpful. Okay, so this week we are talking about evaluating writing. So let's just start. What does that actually mean, evaluating writing? Oh, gosh, that's a hard question. I mean, we would immediately think grading, Yeah. right? We might go to the word assessment. We might look at the word literally and say, what's the value of this? Oh, evaluate, yeah. Yeah. Um, but if we start with grading, that's mm-hmm. where most teachers mm-hmm. and, and parents are kind of stuck. Like, okay, my child, my students did something. How do I grade it? How do I mark it? What do I do with it once I've got it? Right. And this is harder. It's much easier to teach. To teach writing. Than to evaluate. Than to evaluate writing. But uh, there are some basic ideas I think we can discuss. First of all, I I will state that I think our system of grading is not particularly effective at motivating anyone. Oh, okay. Uh, there are maybe a few students who think, oh, if I work harder, I'll get an A, mm-hmm. and I want an A because then my parents will be happy mm-hmm. uh, and I'll be better than anybody. <laughs> but that's not necessarily a healthy form of motivation, mm-hmm. nor is it necessary for motivation, in my opinion. Now, you know my background is not in... English composition. English (laughs) or really elementary education. My primary training is in music. And so I kind of look at the world through the music teacher lens. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I notice between, you know, schools and, and grade levels and grades and all that, and the difference between that and being a music teacher is that music teachers don't give grades. Mm. I mean, I, I never did. I was, you know, not working in a school per se where I was forced to, but I have students. And, yeah, we would do things. I would give them weekly practice checklists or assignments. We would have recitals. Mm-hmm. There would be points of evaluation or assessment or just, you know, judging progress right. that were not in this very kind of weird A, B, C, D, F mode. Mm -hmm. And I can't imagine that giving my music students grades would have helped anyone at all. It certainly wouldn't have helped the students who wouldn't get a good grade. And I'm not sure it would even help the students who would get a good grade. Because, you know, if you say, oh, that's great, you get an A. Well, what do you do? You rest on your laurels. You say, hey, I'm good. (laughs) <laughs> and then if you don't get a good grade, you say, oh, I'm bad at this. I'm never going to be able to. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, it's that kind of system where you, you ask the question, what is the best form of feedback? What is the best form of evaluation? Right. So what is the best form <laughs> well, of evaluation? <laughs> certainly, um, I think everyone would agree that objective yes. feedback is the best. Yes. So if you just say, I like it or I don't like it, 
that's not terribly helpful mm -hmm. to the student. If you say, well, this is kind of better than that, and that's better than this, and, and that's really way worse than all that, then you're putting people on this spectrum mm -hmm. where they're doing a very disordered thing, which is comparing themselves with each other. Exactly, yep. And uh, while there are some areas that are naturally objective, like math, mm -hmm. right? I mean, you know, you study, you take a test, it was right, it was wrong, you get a score, or, you know, foreign language mm -hmm. vocabulary, mm -hmm. you know, you study, you get it right, you get it wrong. That's, that's fair to the degree that it communicates to you objectively. Right. But writing is just not that way. Right. I mean, there are things you can do in writing which are perfectly legal from a grammatical point of view and sound horrible. Mm -hmm. There's also things you can do that are not quite legal. They wouldn't pass a Microsoft Word green line check, mm -hmm. but they're very stylish. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, you could take some of the really great authors and run them through a grammar checker and discover all sorts of anomalies. But we don't say, oh, that's wrong, that's bad. So there are so many different ways to use words, uh, which I think is what makes grading writing the hardest part of teaching writing. Do you know that this topic right here, Andrew Pudua, is what brought me to IEW? It's because hmm. I was arguing with my older son, my oldest <laughs> son, about what is and isn't good writing. And I know him, and he could argue. And he could argue, <laughs> and I knew how to write. I didn't necessarily know how to teach writing. I knew how to write. And you know what? He knew how to write, too, just because he was in that language-rich environment. Yeah. But his idea of what was good writing was a little different than mine, and mm -hmm. I was trying to make him into me, and we would argue. And then, lo and behold, you show up, and you have a system of evaluating writing that takes out that emotional emotional attachment that both of us had to our own yeah. type of writing. And it's possibly harder in the homeschool world, too, because the relationship is much closer. Mm -hmm. But I think teachers you know, also struggle with that problem. If you simply reward something that is creative, imaginative, mm -hmm. stylish, well-written... Oh, he was definitely creative and imaginative, no doubt. <laughs> You know, but if if you reward that and say, well, that's better mm -hmm. than someone who may have struggled hard just to, you know, get something on paper, right? Then what does it do? It it has that danger, like I said, of communicating to the student who has kind of a natural high aptitude, oh, you're good, and then there's like, okay, I'm good. I don't have to. I don't have to try any harder. Mm -hmm. And then the student, of course you know, who's not that way is penalized. It, it's equally as harmful to reward a student for natural talent as it is to penalize a student who lacks that natural mm. talent. But that's kind of the way our system is based. So that's why when I saw Webster's system, which was 1990, <laughs> is that 30 <laughs> actual years ago? 30 years ago, When sir. I met Dr. Webster. <laughs> wow. And I saw his checklist, mm -hmm. and I thought, you know, this is so real mm -hmm. and reasonable. Mm -hmm. If you do all these things on the checklist, 
you get 100%. You get an A. And if you don't do all these things, well, then you don't get 100% and right. you don't get an A. And the checklist was concrete. It included things like title is underlined, name on paper, you know, topic sentence and clincher sentence, repeat two or three key words. And, and you get into the style techniques, the dress up. And, of course, he had some pretty extensive checklists mm -hmm. that he developed for university students. Right. And if people are interested, uh, his original book, uh, Blended Structure and Style and Composition, has – and I may get the numbers wrong here, but if I recall correctly, he would teach university students – and say, here's the checklist, and there's like 70-some things on the checklist. And if you get every one of those things, you get an A. It doesn't mean that everyone who got an A has as perceptive or insightful or even smooth as someone else who got an A, but you did everything on the checklist. And in using that, you learn. Now, you had to get a B or better and then you graduate to the level two checklist, which had 88 things. Yeah. And then you would work with that for a while. And when you could get a B or better on that, then you would graduate to the level three checklist, which had, I think, 101. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of stuff to think about. Mm -hmm. But what did that teach the students? It taught them to, you know, pay attention, to double check their work, to be very meticulous in, you know, reading that thing and then seeing, okay, is that somewhere in this composition? Mm -hmm. Or or in some cases it was, did you avoid doing that thing? Right, in like this a band composition? word. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And those checklists, you know, for him were the key to student improvement. Yep. Uh, and so we, of course, don't use checklists with 100 things on them. No. Nope. <laughs> uh, we have his basic checklists that include uh, the structural model aspects, which could be, you know, two, three, four, five, maybe six, six things, uh, dress-ups, openers, decorations, a triple. And so, you know, our students are dealing with a checklist of anywhere between, you know, one and 20-some things. Mm -hmm. But it's the same process mm -hmm. of meticulousness. Mm -hmm. So I just thought when I saw that, I thought this solves every problem of how to grade mm -hmm. students' writing. Right. If they did it, they did it. If they didn't, they didn't. Perfectly objective. Now, some people do it mm -hmm. more smoothly or stylishly or artistically than mm -hmm. others, but that's that's not something you can change. You can't just like put your fingers on a kid's head <laughs> and say, be more artistic no, yes. <laughs> and make it happen. You have to nurture it gradually. Mm -hmm. And so um, that, uh, you know, that checklist-based evaluation to me is just key. And, and then, of course, you know, if you have to translate that into letter grades, there are a couple options. Right. One option is to say, okay, there's, you know, 10 things on the checklist. If you do all 10, it's 100%. Mm -hmm. If you do 9 of the 10, it's 90%. If you mm -hmm. do 8 of the 10, it's 80%, and you go down from there. Mm -hmm. But I'm not sure that's really the best way to approach the use of the checklist. Webster's approach was kind of like, well, 
if you do 100%, you have accomplished right. the assignment. So you get an A, A for accomplished, accepted. If you didn't get 100%, well, now you obviously need to redo this another mm-hmm. time right. and resubmit this so that you can get 100%, which makes it possible for every student, regardless of their aptitude, to get 100%. Now, some people may have to resubmit the paper two or three or more times, Mm -hmm. but isn't that really what we are hoping students will learn? Not that 83% is good enough, Now, you are my marketing director. Yes. And you have a little saying, which sometimes drives me crazy because it costs money. (laughs) But what is that? You have said this to me. Good enough isn't. Good enough isn't. Well, we are the Institute for Excellence in Writing. It's kind of your fault. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. But on the other hand, you know, we operate in a world of of business. Mm -hmm. We have competitors, we have colleagues, we have an image, we and as we get bigger, you know, we have to be better. Yeah. And you know, I've thought about that so many times, this whole system of percentages and grades and you know, a passing score, is this really what we want to teach our students in terms of the real world? Yeah. We do not appreciate people in fact, we don't even tolerate people for whom it's good enough, right? We, we don't want employees who score 91%. No. No. We want excellence. And, and doesn't every business want that? Doesn't every teacher want that? So how do we create that culture where you just keep doing it? You keep working on it. You don't give up mm-hmm. until you get that 100%. But it has to be possible. That's the trick. And that's part of the motivation talk you referenced last mm-hmm. week. Mm-hmm. If it's not possible, well, then nobody would, you know, people give up. They won't try. Right. But if it's possible to get that 100%, okay, I will do whatever it takes. Mm-hmm. And I think we've seen this. You know, our, our structure and style students, the ones yes. who helped us make the video, <laughs> I do remember, you know, a few times when I had to hand back the paper and say, well... There's only two grades, A for accepted or accomplished, and I for incomplete. Mm -hmm. And just if you get an I, don't feel bad. It doesn't mean I don't like what you wrote. You know, I may love what you wrote, but you missed something. So... But they're in good company. I remember one time you wrote a paper for Dr. Webster, and you were so careful to make sure every dress up, every decoration, every triple, every opener. Yep. And what did you miss, Andrew? He, he gave it back to me with 99% on the top of the paper. And yes. I'm like, what? <laughs> I was outraged. And of course, I had forgotten to put the date. The date. The date <laughs> on the paper. But, you know, it was, it was, you know, him kind of, you know, playing with me. But it was also a good object lesson, Mm. which is, was it on the checklist? Yes. Did you do it? No. Well, okay. I like what you say to the the structure and style students that were in the class. Do what you checked and check what What you you do. do. Yes. 
do what you check and check what you do. And that's just good. It's a good practice mm-hmm. for life. Yep. Uh, and, and I've, you know, over the years of doing this, I've come to hear stories and hear, you know, kids who were in my class, you know, 15 years ago, and now they're 30 years old, <laughs> um, you know, come back and let me know and mm-hmm. let us know that it was more than just writing. Yeah. There were other, or what Mrs. Ingham would call intangibles yep. that were communicated through that system, uh, for which I am truly grateful because, you know, I didn't invent the thing. I just had a tremendous opportunity to learn it and share it with others. Yep. So uh, I would encourage, you know, parents and teachers out there who are forced to give grades, if you can get away with it in your circumstance, just go for the AI option. Mm-hmm. It's accomplished or mm-hmm. it is incomplete, and that that's going to be the best. If, if you're forced then uh, because students won't be able to take the time to do another version and submit it and, mm-hmm. and use a percentage score, we have that built into our rubrics. Uh, the checklist generator has the option to turn on or off the points right, right. for each thing. And we weight the points, meaning some things you only get one point for and some things you get a little bit more, yeah. whether or not it's a dress up or it's just putting your date on the paper. You right. Know? Well, and, and the teacher can control that, too, and change, mm-hmm. change the points. Yes. But, uh, you know, it, it's okay to do the points, but I think the ideal is everyone gets 100%. Mm-hmm. And then that communicates to them, okay, when I go out in the world, I go the extra mile, I double check, I you know, use whatever checklists are in my world mm-hmm. to be sure that I have done everything I can possibly do yep. to complete my responsibilities. So it is, you know, not just a writing program mm-hmm. in a way, it's a it's a character yes. development kind of program. Yes. At least that's what I've heard. Yes. So, Andrew, we do have some listeners that are new to IEW, and perhaps they've never heard your talk or our podcast series that we will link in the show notes on the four deadly errors of teaching writing. And I think part, some of that is evaluating writing, the errors of overcorrecting. So right. can you just touch on those four sure. deadly Sure. Well, that's errors? the first one, mm-hmm. um, overcorrecting. Mm-hmm. And I think we all have experience with that. You know, we, we kind of had some teachers who would just, you know, mark every possible thing that could be improved or changed or was wrong, give little mini lectures in the margin, mm-hmm. and we get it back. And I don't know about you, but when I would get paper like that, I'm just I'm just thinking, you know, every mark is just telling me I'm dumb, I'm stupid, I don't know what to do, I don't know how to make this teacher happy, I hate it. Mm. So I'm not sure that's you know, a good use of a teacher's time. And of course, you know, the fact is the teacher spent a lot of time, you know, giving all this detailed feedback. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then, of course, on the opposite extreme is the teacher who gives you a paper and it has like three words in the margin, vague or question mark, (laughs) you know, or really question mark, (laughs) and then like B plus at Mm -hmm. the top. And Mm -hmm. you're thinking like, why is this a B plus? Why Mm -hmm. isn't it an A, why isn't it a C? You know, what, what's mm-hmm. the scale here? Right. And so, you know, that that problem of overcorrecting. So in our in in that deadly errors talk, 
I explain the idea of editing, right, versus right. correcting. And the reason to write on a student paper is to give them a chance to redo that mm -hmm. with the suggested improvements. Right. And right. if there's no chance to redo it, why bother mark it? Right. And, and then there's a whole lot we could say about, you know, how to look at a, look at a pile of students' papers and make a little list of things which they clearly need a little clarification or additional information and then teach grammar mini lessons yep. from that. I love that. The next one, of course, would be withholding help mm. and uh, the this idea— This is probably the one that you get the more, more questions about than anything else. What do you mean withholding help? Well, I mean, if a student can't think of something, they're not going to write anything. So baseline level is you help them think of stuff. And if it means you have to dictate something for them to write, go ahead. Right. And I use the you know little example of the boy in second grade who had the keyword outline, couldn't think of a sentence to go with the keywords, and I dictated it, and he wrote it down, and I dictated the next one, he wrote it down. And then the third one, he did it all by himself. Right. Uh, but it goes also to the point of saying, you know, I just don't know the right word here. And a lot of parents and teachers would think, well, you know, they would they would fear if I tell him what to write, then he's not he's not learning. But the opposite is mm -hmm. true. If you do tell him, then he's got an example. He's got something to model. He can practice using. We say, you know, sink or swim you know, do it or fail. If we use that method to teach swimming, well, most of the children would die and we'd go to jail, you know. <laughs> what do we do? We overteach. We model. We, we, and, and independence in a skill, whether it's swimming or writing or playing music, is really the result of the critical mass of experience and confidence. Mm -hmm. So don't be afraid to help as much as needed. The third deadly error is actually a form of the second, but it is so pernicious it gets its own category, which is unclear assignments. Right, and we, and talk we talked about that mm -hmm. last episode. And and sorry, um, I did not get that assignment done on the Federal Reserve. <laughs> oh, that's okay. <laughs> you can probably just read up a little bit and realize um, the huge problems. We okay. Have. No. Um, but uh, that, that problem of unclear assignments mm -hmm. is a form of withholding help. So if we make it very, very clear, we give the kids models and checklists, mm -hmm. then they know, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. Yes. That's what we all want to know. Yes. You know, what am I supposed to do? And then, you know, we reach a point in life where we basically write for ourselves schedules and checklists. Mm -hmm. It's true. <laughs> and those schedules and checklists let us know if we are accomplishing those things that are necessary for us to do what we need to in our work or our personal life or our service. And then the fourth one is over-expectation, mm. uh, which you know I think is probably something that parents are a little more susceptible to than teachers because teachers, you know, if you teach middle school and you get to see 120 different middle schoolers every year for 10 years, you have a good sense of what to expect. Mm -hmm. And you don't tend to overexpect. But uh, a parent at home, you know, they get that first child who hits 12 years old and they start to think, oh, no, you know, he's almost a teenager. He's going to go to college. He's going to be an adult soon. And, and this is awkward. This is, this is not good. How do I fix it? And, you know, my suggestion is you can't 
fix it. You just keep teaching and mm -hmm. keep loving and keep having patience and realize, you know, they will grow up yep. and they'll be fine. Yep. But you need a little bit of faith there. Yep. So, yeah, the Four Deadly Errors, uh, the podcast series or the talk that's on right. our website would be right. really helpful for everyone, I think. It's my favorite talk to give. Is it really? Mm -hmm. That's nice. That's nice. And we we use the four deadly errors in many of applications here at IEW. We don't want our customers, we don't want our teachers to feel like we are withholding help. And thus, we have a conversation every week called a podcast to <laughs> hopefully encourage all of our listeners. So thank you, Andrew, and thank you, listeners, for helping us help you know how to teach and evaluate writing. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcast. Until then, on behalf of Andrew Pudua and the team at IEW, I thank you for allowing us to partner with you on your journey toward better listening, speaking, reading, writing, and thinking. Thank you.